Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I am Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who doesn't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. He doesn't want to sell anything, bought or process, or buy anything, sold or process, or process anything, sold, bought, or processed, or repair anything, sold, bought, or processed. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean, that was excellent. And it's all true. Thank you. I'm completely unsuccessful, but it's all true. <laughs> Premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music. As we do at the beginning of each podcast, we ask the all-important question. So, Wayne, what t-shirt are you wearing? Uh, it's a tip of the hat to Lloyd Dobler. Uh, it's my new London Calling class shirt. Fantastic. And yes, he was definitely wearing one in this movie. So my shirt today is a little bit of a stretch. So I am wearing uh, one of my pop culture t-shirts. I am wearing um, Charles DeMar's Pure Snow t-shirt. If you're familiar with Better Off Dead, you'll understand the reference. Charles DeMar was, was uh, Lane Meyer's best friend. And uh, there, there's one scene where he talks about this is pure snow. Do you know what the street value of this mountain is? So, again, very much of a stretch because really our first real introduction to John Cusack, you can say that it was in 16 Candles. You'd be lying. I mean, let's 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 be honest. <laughs> better better off dead. It's really our first foray into the man, the myth, the legend, John Cusack. Yeah, and I, it's funny as I was thinking about it a lot this week, and that character, Lloyd Dobler, and even uh, Martin Blank from Gross Point Blank, it really is almost the same character. Like, like if. She hadn't came back and Lloyd Dobler would have gone to join the army and taken the test. And then he would have become Martin Blank. It's like the same person. Yeah. I never really, yeah, I never really uh, did the, uh, the, the connection between Lloyd and, and uh, gross point blank. So, yeah. So if you're not sure what we're talking about, we are continuing on with our Cameron Crowe soundtrack month. So we are revisiting the Say Anything soundtrack, which is why we're talking about Lloyd Dobler, John Cusack. So do you think that we're, we're still going to have time to record the Elizabeth's, Elizabethtown soundtrack? <laughs> well, well, luckily, we, we saved the throwaway for last. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. We did, we, we did some strong... We had some strong choices. We did and some that had strong soundtracks. Not that that one doesn't, but clearly of those four movies, the the one the one that could drop off is especially with all the Ryan Adams. We don't need that. We don't need that on our on our podcast. I, well, I was just going to go. Well, I, I kind of <laughs> wanted to do the Elizabeth Town soundtrack <laughs> just so that we could have the conversation because I I I don't know. I I I felt as though kind of been teasing that we're going to talk about Ryan Adams for a number of episodes and we just haven't really addressed the the you know the the elephant in the room but we can put it behind the dookie release <laughs> uh okay yeah 
the one that's been uh isn't that, that's like the isn't that like the second tuesday of the week we're gonna well you'll come out right after dookie right exactly you know i was planning on listening to the say anything soundtrack again today uh on one of one of my commutes and i kind of got distracted and and i'm and i'm blaming you for part of it so the the first part of it was so i'm i'm heading back up to washington to go see go see pops and um one of the things that uh i found out was bob mould is playing while uh while i'm up there so i i bought i bought tickets today for that and I texted you, told you that I, I got the tickets. And then you then sent me a couple pictures of, oh, well, I'm thinking I might go see John Prine. And then I'm thinking I might go see the 80s thing. But what 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 is this, the 80s revival thing called? Oh, it's like live from the 80s or lost 80s. I, I can't remember. It's at the Woodland Park Zoo, so it should be a cool... A cool event, a cool venue. And, and then you, and then after telling me, oh, uh, the motels are going to be part of this, uh, this little uh, lineup. Then you sent me a top ten for the motel. I, uh, we had done a top ten in so long, and I thought, oh, you know what? I love the, I love the motels. Let me, let me see what I can do. Let's, let's, let's not forget our roots. Let's see where this, go back to where this thing yeah, started. Yeah, you, you want to know what I listened to on my entire commute on the way home? Hopefully the motels, the motels, because I, because I, 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 I wanted to refute a few of the uh, the the selections that you put on your top ten. So I love it. Yeah. All right. So so I did not listen to to say anything because on the drive to work I was listening to Bob Mould getting ready for that concert, which I'm totally stoked about. And then on the way home, I was listening to the motel. So I. I think we're going to need to do a motels episode. Oh, I, I think that would be great. I'm all ready too. I wonder how many people are actually going to listen to that episode. If we do it though, like, is it, is this just a guilty pleasure for us? Or do you think that there's enough people who, um, would actually listen to an episode of us gushing on about how much we love Martha Davis? I think, I think it would. I mean, those, those big hits were big hits. I mean, only the lonely. Suddenly, last summer, take the L out. Take, uh, take the L. Take the L. Uh, gosh, shame, danger. Just, just a ton of good songs. Like, just a ton. You forgot total control. Oh, that was that was the one that I really wasn't super familiar with. And as I listened to it today, it just that's a slow burner. That is just a that's a beauty of a song. It just climbed all the way up into number two. Yeah. And you know why I, lo- I love the motels? Because of Martha Davis. Well, besides that, but oh. 80s dirty sax. Oh, <laughs> oh, it is full of that. There, there is some great dirty sax in that. So, oh. And who doesn't like a little dirty sax, right? I, I love it. All right. Uh, we're totally getting sidetracked. And, and we didn't even have Jeff on the, on the podcast to do that for us tonight. <laughs> He's been an influence on us, clearly. Uh, clearly. All right. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the movie first, shall we? You got any? Absolutely. Favorite, you got any favorite lines from the movie? You know, and I I just watched it. I watched it last Sunday, so you know what? Four four days ago. Um, I always loved that the two the two dinner uh, 
ones, the one about the buy sell process. And then the, the one about, they say they know, but they don't know. I don't know, but I know that. Yeah. Uh, those are classics that I always, I've never forgotten, but I, my favorite line from the whole movie is when she said, they never think it's going to work, do they? And he said, you just described every success story, every great success story. And uh, I thought that was great. That was my favorite line. I think mine is a little, little darker. The, the line of, I gave her my heart and she gave me a pen. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny is also, I love, I mean, you got to tell, you got to give Cameron Crow props because when he, when he writes a character, he, he really, I mean, just even when you think about, I mean, Spicoli may seem like a, a, a stoner, you know, burnout, but there's actually depth to that guy uh, that Sean Penn brings out. But also, I mean, Lloyd Dobler, there's a deep character there. I mean, he, he really knows how to write a character that you can, that, that people can fall in love with and want to, and want to, and want and root for and want to see him succeed. Which they do. I'm, I'll be posting to the Facebook page. So there's a great article I found on um, a website that I wasn't familiar with, but I was just kind of doing a Google search on Lloyd Dobler. And there is a article on lifehack.com and it's called eight quotes from seeing anything that teaches how to rock at life. So she gave all sorts of different, you know, criteria of Lloyd Dobler is the dream, the dream man. And so she used eight quotes from the, the movie to teach us how to rock at life. And so, so one of, one of the lines that's in there is the, not only that I'm looking for a dare to be great situation, but there was one where he's at the party and he's like, you must chill, you must chill. So, you know, the, the, uh, the lesson of life, uh, according to this article is wigging out has never accomplished anything. Plus it's really obnoxious. Don't be a spaz, breathe deep, stay calm and think clear. So definitely a lesson to learn on life. How many of them really know what they want? I mean, a lot of them think they have to know, right? But inside they don't really know. So I don't know, but I know that I don't know. <laughs> so, and that was classic from the get-go, right? Like I say, I that I mean, I saw that probably not at the theater, probably right when it came out on D, on video the next year. So let's say 1990. Um, and I never, I always remember that scene sitting at the table and uh, John, uh, Fraser's dad giving him the kind of the stink eye and him, him just classic lines, great lines. It's one of the greatest, greatest, uh, greatest movie clips. It's, it's great. All right. Um, anything else we want to talk about on the movie? Oh, let's, let's talk about the casting. Cause uh, I don't think John Cusack was first option. So what I read was other actors that were considered for Lloyd included Kirk Cameron. Oh my God. Could, could you see Kirk Cameron as Lloyd Dobler? First of all, Kirk Cameron's not going to have premarital sex in the back of a car. <laughs> That's true. Uh, how about Robert Downey Jr.? Could you see him as Lloyd Dobler? No, I, I mean, he, I can't see anyone. Like when I saw that list, I was like, the, you know what? No one, it would have flopped. It would have not, it would not, we would not be talking about say anything to this day if it wasn't 
exactly who, who where it was, exactly how it so was. So not Peter Berg, not not Christian Slater. Those were a couple of the other ones uh, that were considered. All right, uh, other actresses that were considered for Diane. So Jenner, Jennifer Conley, she was the runner up to Iona Sky. I could I could kind of see that. Could you see Jennifer Conley as uh, as I, I I literally can't see anybody. Okay. Else, I think they just nailed it. Not even Elizabeth Shue. I'd like to see Elizabeth Shue in a lot of things, but this movie's not okay. one of them. Um, all right. How about so talking about Iona Sky? Uh, my first introduction to her was in that really awful movie, A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon. Did you ever see that one? I believe that I did, but it it's just one of those 80s uh teen ridiculous movies that i i just i saw so many of them i can't remember yeah. them all but i'm pretty i'm pretty sure based on the name i that i that i did see yeah phoenix uh was kind of a slut in that one if i remember correctly here's here here's one thing that i couldn't i couldn't confirm so somebody on online had posted that the kickboxing dojo that was used was the same dojo as the cobra kai I don't know if I believe it, but that would be I so don't awesome. Think, I don't think it is, but I, I would love to have somebody confirm that. Um, and, and if you haven't watched the, the Cobra, Cobra Kai YouTube series, it's actually pretty good. Have you watched that? I uh, know. Somebody was telling me about it uh, just recently. I think my yeah. boss was telling me about it. Yeah, it was pretty good. And And in that scene, um, this is something that I don't know because uh, I didn't know because I'm not a kickboxing uh, aficionado, but the real-life kickboxing champion, Don the Dragon Wilson, is actually Cusack's kickboxing partner in that in that scene. He's the one who kicks him in the face when uh, um, Diane comes comes into the uh, into the dojo. Fun fun facts. Oh, here here's another fun fact. When Lloyd and Diane are have broken up and he's driving around, he passes Bob's job. Uh, did you see that? Well, that's the, yes, I did see that. That's that's Tacoma. Um, but on the marquee of one of the theaters, they're showing tape heads. <laughs> did you ever watch tape heads? That's a, that's a cute act. Oh, I don't know that I did. I know I do remember it, but I don't know that I watched it. It's a Cusack movie. Tim Robbins. I th- I think that this was pre... It, yeah, it was pre-Bull Durham, Tim Robbins. Such an awful movie. But um, I thought that that was kind of interesting that he's driving past a theater that is playing one of his movies. So it's fun. All right, here, here is the, here's, here's my last stupid fun fact. All right, Diane Court's mother. Did 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 you read my my notes on this? Uh, I did. So Louise Childs, she was actually a Bond girl. She was Holly Goodhead in Moonraker. Remember Moonraker? I that, that was one of the Roger Moore ones, the classic uh, with uh, Jaws with the metal teeth guy. Exactly. And I just love Jaws because I recently watched Happy Gilmore. And, <laughs> I was just uh, going to say, that's, his, that's the only other role he's had. <laughs> oh, man, I love that movie so much. 
Um, all right. Should we start talking about music? Isn't that the whole po- the reason for this podcast is to uh, talk about music and we haven't talked? We're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. All right. Other songs that are featured in the film. So Ricky, don't lose that number. Steely Dan. What's what's Diane's father's name in this? What's his what's his character name? Because I, I feel like we're gonna we're just gonna continue to refer to him as Fraser's dad. His real name is John Mahoney. I have no idea what his name is in that. All right. Uh, all right, so Mr. Mr. Court. Court. All right, we're well, <laughs> just going to refer to him as Mr. Court. So he's singing that in uh, one of the scenes. He's driving to the uh, the the senior home that he's you know pilfering all the old people out of all their cash, um, and he's singing "Ricky, Don't Lose That Number." Um, we just finished talking about singles and our favorite song on that uh, soundtrack was uh, also featured in this yes very much so so a little little, little mother love bone there um back in the saddle by aerosmith there's a couple Soundgarden songs flower and toy box and i was trying to i was trying to listen for those i think those were part of the party scene i don't know i can't i can't confirm that did were, were you paying any attention to, 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 to see if you could hear the sound garden songs no, I wasn't looking for anything in particular. I did hear "Back in the Saddle." I heard Chloe uh, dancer "Crown of Thorns." Uh, obviously, the songs from the soundtrack, but I didn't make out any. Like I say, during the party period, there was, there a, was lot a lot going, going on. on. Yeah. All right, should we uh, should we jump into it? I, there you go. Let's do it. All right. So this is first track on the on the record. This is Nancy Wilson of Heart. And this is all for love. All right, so we we just finished our single soundtrack. We talked about uh, Anne's and Nancy's contribution to that soundtrack. So Nancy is also on this soundtrack. Um, yeah. So Nancy is also <laughs> Nancy Crow because she married Cameron Crow, and this is not the first time that they got together. I think uh, there was a. I think there was either a song or, or she made an appearance on like the wildlife. If I remember correctly, either way, um, this is, this is not the right way to start off a soundtrack. Um, this is, this is not a good way to start off any record whatsoever. Again, going back to what I say repeatedly on this podcast that first song out of the gate needs to be in your face, needs to be catchy, needs to be good. And this song does none of those things. Not a single one of them. 
Um, and and I'm I kind of feel bad. I mean, this is two episodes in a row where we've kind of trashed Heart, and I and and it's not like I hate Heart because I don't. There are some really great songs that they've done, but they're all pre eighty five. Like I I I don't like anything that they've made since the Capitol years. And I feel like this song was definitely trying to capture that, you know, uh, these dreams type of sentimentality. And it just it doesn't work for me. Give me Barracuda, man. I mean, give me, you know, how can I refuse? I'll, I'll even take how can I refuse? You know, you start out strong with that, uh, you know, riff that they stole from, um, you know, Judas Priest got another thing coming. I'll take that. I'll take that over anything that they did on Capitol. Am I, am I being too harsh? I feel like I'm no, this no, no. First of all, you're letting her off easy. This is rampant nepotism. <laughs> uh, this sounds like a song that D- Celine Dion passed on. Uh, and I don't mean to sound critical because I love Nancy Wilson. I love the Wilson sisters, but the, his best use of Nancy Wilson to this point has been Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, she's she's in the car when uh, Judge Reinhold is driving by with the the pirate hat, right? Yeah, she, yeah she's yeah. eye candy. Yeah. yeah, let's. Yeah, all right. Should we get some scores? I feel like I want to just move on. <laughs> well, uh, this this is number one. Uh, yeah, uh, me too. This is my this is my stinker on the on the soundtrack, and like I said, I, it wasn't even no, a difficult I, choice. Again, I just I I feel bad because I I don't hate I don't hate old heart, but yeah, all right, let's let's move on before I I because I feel like <laughs> the the longer I talk about about Ann, uh not even Anne. The, the I feel like the, the longer I talk about Nancy Wilson, I feel like I'm going to just start spewing some, you know, Wayne Fugate hatred of Timothy B. Schmidt. So I, <laughs> I feel she's not that. I bad. feel like I need to move on. All right, so uh, here is the second song. This is "Cult of Personality" by Living Color. So get us get us started on uh, Living Color. Uh, this this is just a great song. Uh, I I I remember when this came out. It was like '88, and so all that that hair metal stuff was out there, um, real popular. And this thing just came out and just kicked the door in. These guys were super talented. Um, just like I say, great rock musicians. And this song is one of the early, I mean, I don't recall anybody using sound clips 
like in this way. I mean, rap songs were using them. There was also that there was always that kind of skit thing in between songs. But this was the first time somebody took like real historical political quotes um, and interspersed them perfectly in this song to just amplify what they're talking about. I mean, they got the most mileage out of those three quotes. Uh, and like I say, this song, I actually was, re- I was reading something about the song and the whole concept of cult of personality. And originally um, he actually had a reference to Hitler in it, but they removed it because they didn't want to alienate oh, wow. anybody. Uh, and, but like I say, I, the, the whole concept that it's not, it's not good or bad. It's, you know, that's why they have Gandhi and Mussolini in the same song. It's because it's, it's about, it's about that cult of personality, about following these political leaders, um, you know, blindly uh, guys who don't do anything, but stand up and talk on TV. Uh, but great opening riff. Um, this was just, uh, these guys were totally legit. This was a nice way to just, I mean, this, this had to have helped usher out those hair metal bands. Yeah. And, and the, the version that appears on the soundtrack is a live version of this. So people were already familiar with living color. They were kind of the popular thing at the end of 88. So when this movie came out in 89, you know, people were already familiar with, with living color. And I will always link them with NWA because straight out of Compton came out roughly around this same time. And I, I was hearing about these and I, I went over to a friend of ours, got a friend of ours used to be a tower records employee. He got some discounts on some stuff. And I actually walked out of his house with a copy of vivid and a copy of straight out of Compton. And I, I'll always link those two together for that. And I listened to those two CDs. I, till they disintegrated in the, in the, in the CD player. Why exactly did living color not reach, you know, this, this, well, their own cult of personality, so to speak. I mean, they came out of the gate really strong. Everybody was, you know, really clamoring uh, about them. They won a Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance, I believe, because of this song. Um, and it was a top, you know, it was a top 10 hit, I believe, on, I think, on the album chart. Um, I'm trying to remember if this was like a top. 15 or top 20 song on the you know the billboard uh regular chart but um i think everybody really thought that they were going to have some staying power um and and didn't and it felt like there wasn't there wasn't even any real buzz for the second album or am i just totally missing that I think there there the, there was buzz for the second album and it came out and it was good and it had some some really good good stuff on it. But I, I think music changed. I mean, they were a hard rock band and alternative music really kind of took over, obviously the Seattle scene and Nirvana and just in general, I mean, things change and they, and I know they also started to have some person, some personnel issues. I think Corey Glover left the band for a while that that's going to kill you when you're, especially if you're a, a relatively new band, when your signature lead singer goes out, that's that's gonna give you a hit, but I know they had some personnel issues, um, so there was some infighting to some yeah. degree. Now, now that I'm I'm looking at the discography, so the second album was "Times Up." Is that right? Times Up. I love I my favorite living in living my favorite living color song is uh, "Solace of You." That's, that's right. That's on there. That is a good song. 
Elvis is dead is on that that album as well. That's a good yep. song as well. Yep, that is yeah. a little Richard on yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so here I'm kind of dissing on them of disappearing, and and little did I know that I actually knew a couple songs off of that. I see. I didn't do enough research. I was too busy doing my my deep dive on Bob Mould and the motels to the, today. So I blame you. I would too. All right, let's get some scores. Ah, ten. <laughs> this, this is this is a ten. This is my favorite song on this on this CD. On on, I mean, this would this song has got to be a top one hundred song really? for me. I really okay. like this. Song. I give it a seven. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorite songs on this on this record. And and once I get to uh, eight and six, uh, I'll you'll you'll understand why I kept flip flopping those those particular numbers. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get to it. This is uh, one big rush. This is Joe Satriani. This was originally on his album "Flying in a Blue Dream." This is uh, instrumental, and you know how um, instrumentals don't really fare very well on our scoring. Fourth, <laughs> no, no I, I wrote that's that's my first note right after the title of the song in my score. Instrumentals don't fare well typically. Well, we've got good bad. news for Joe. This is going to be the fir- first album Absolutely. that is included an in instrumental where the instrumental did not get the lowest ranking on the album. Congratulations to Joe for breaking that streak. Um, way to go, Nancy Wilson. <laughs> That's all I can say on that. Um, this, this is definitely a song that I do. I do fast forward on the soundtrack. I, I will be honest. Joe Satriani has never done anything for me. I'm not, I'm not a big instrumental type guy. Uh, you you gotta you gotta throw some singing out there for me, and I would probably change my mind if I saw Joe live. I bet I would change my mind on that. Um, but um, I'm not I'm not gonna go spend money for a Joe Satriani ticket. So, so I will never find out probably unless unless there's a listener out there who's a big Joe fan and wants to send me a ticket. Uh, I will. I'm I'm okay with eating my words. I ate my words on the last episode about Candlebox. So, yeah, this is this is. I mean, the 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 one of the things that's I guess does works against him for me is that he almost writes songs like they should have lyrics. I mean, it's almost if you listen to him, there's there's a spot where it sounds like there should be a chorus or there's a bridge. So he writes these great rock music, but then it doesn't feel like it goes anywhere because nobody's singing anything to it. But I could totally hear. Uh, like Sammy Hagar or you know solo David Lee Roth coming up with some lyrics for 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 the song, um, but I, I agree with you. I mean, Satriani and Steve Vai and Eric Johnson—they're great guitarists, but I mean, to me, they'll never stack up to guys like uh, Eddie Van Halen, um, you know Jack White or you know The Edge. People who write songs that people can write lyrics to. 
And that's what people want. So like I say, it's, I mean, they try to do this virtuoso orchestral stuff with a guitar and ultimately it's the rock and roll instrument. It's supposed to, it's, it's to get chicks with. It's not, it's not to try to prove that you went to Berkeley. So do we even want to go down the path of your, 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 your premise of, of, uh, well, I think that there should be lyrics for some of these songs and uh, Coldplay put lyrics to them. <laughs> I don't, I don't want Coldplay to put lyrics. Okay. To, well, to anything, you, but... you know what I'm referring to, right? The little plagiarism charges that, uh, that Joe levied against uh, Coldplay at some. Oh yeah, I did. I mean, yeah, I've, I have heard that. Um, that one, I don't, I mean, sometimes people write, there's only 12 notes that you can play. So sometimes, they're going to end up in a similar order and sound familiar. I don't know that I feel like Chris Martin lifted anything from anybody. He's a pretty talented individual. It's not like, uh, what was that band in the nineties? Uh, the verve that just completely just wrote different lyrics to Rolling Stones music. I mean, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a whole other animal there. There's a really good podcast episode about that. I'll have to try and figure that, try and find that again, but yeah. I get it. All right, let's get some scores. I'm giving this a two. <laughs> I I gave it a four. Uh, wow. There were, yeah, I, yeah. I I it's yeah. I I guess we'll find out as this goes along why I got a four. Oh, I'm my curiosity curiosity is peaked now. All right, uh, all right. Next song is Cheap Tricks. You want it. find no information on the song i don't know if it was available on any other album um i'm not a super big cheap trick fan other than live at budokan which eventually we're, i think we're going to revisit right that's the word on the street yeah um so this came out at a time when Cheap Trick was enjoying a nice little resurgence of their popularity, and that was really off of the strength of their power ballad, The Flame, which didn't they end up hating that song and didn't play it for like the longest time? I had heard that, and I could, and I definitely see it. It, it isn't. I'm a I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan, and I, I one of the reasons that this song fared so low in my scoring is because um, I know a, quite a bit of their catalog, and this definitely is not up to par, especially guitar wise. This doesn't have I mean Rick Nielsen really, you know a Cheap Trick song. I mean even before Robin Zander starts singing, you know it's a Cheap Trick song, and this just felt uh, manufactured. 
you know, like uninspired, like what's almost like let's, you know, cash in why we're, we're hot. Yeah. This is definitely a Robin Zander song. Like I, I didn't feel like uh, Carlos was on his game. I didn't feel like Rick was on his game. Um, I don't know if this was a demo that was laying on the floor of, you know, the one, one of the, the cutting, cutting, uh, cutting rooms, but um, it's real generic though. I mean, it really has a generic cheap trick sound to it. Uh, and just without, like they, I could see just exactly what you're saying. Like they recorded this, and they're like, "Yeah, we can't. That's not. That's not going to make that's the not album." Us. Yeah. Um. So g- going back to the Flame, you you saw them last summer in concert. Did they uh, Did they play the Flame? I no, I don't believe so. They. I still the one thing they played. Obviously, you can't leave before you hear Surrender. Um, they did Dream Police. I think they evidently did a medley that involved the Dream Police. But my favorite event, the I guess, and it was my favorite part of that night, just because it was so odd in every aspect. But Tom Peterson did a version, uh, did a great version of "Waiting for the Man" by Velvet Underground. It was completely out of nowhere. I had no idea uh, that they ever did anything like that, or that Tom Peterson ever sang. It was. It was the highlight of the show for me. And do Cheap Trick fans even know who the Velvet Underground is? <laughs> I, I have some of them probably, but... Uh, yeah, that's odd. That's not their wheelhouse. No. Stick to the flame, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, all right, let's get some scores. What are you giving uh, You Want It? Um, a three because I expect better from Cheap Trick. Like when I saw that Cheap Trick had a song in here, uh, I I was like, "Cool!" I don't know that I've heard that song, and uh, it was disappointing. And come, you know, it's definitely like when your mom would point at you after you, you know, and tell you, you I, "I expect better from you." Yeah, I gave it a four. It doesn't it didn't do a whole lot for me, but it's not horrible. It's not one that I would I would uh, completely skip over. Oh, it's no all for love or anything. I mean, no, 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 no. It's like I say, it's just from cheap trick. I, I, it has a cheap trick sound. It's that's what I'm saying. It's very generic. Like it, it could have been on any of their albums, but it just, just lacked like inspiration. All right, let's move on. This is uh, red hot chili peppers. This is our fifth song. This is taste the pain. I know I'm not that dumb. This is a song from the album Mother's Milk. It would have been their, I guess, final single from that album. And um, so you, you go back to the uh, the uh, getting a song into the soundtrack because of who you're who you're uh, hooked up with. It's all about who you know. 
well, guess who? Guess who? Anthony Kiedis was uh, was dating at this time. Ioni Sky. Yeah. So, so there it is. Um, song is playing in the background of. I'm pretty sure that this was. Was this during the the um, the party scene? No, this uh, the first. I think the song actually plays a couple of times because I think it's in his. The, well, I it's in Lloyd. It's in the tape deck of your mom's That's car. That, right. I don't That's... know how Lloyd Dobler got your mom's car, but when he first uh, starts the car and she's in it and it comes on really loud and he's like, you know, trying to turn it down. That's the first time I heard it, but I think it might be every time they're in his car, you kind of hear it. Cause I think he pushes a matchbooks, a matchbook yes. underneath the, uh, yes. Underneath the cassette. Yeah. You, you want to know the difference between Lloyd's car and my mom's car? Is it that little back window or was hers a mercury? And that was a, uh, hers. No, hers was, a that was a Chevy Malibu and she had, you're reading way too, no. you're reading way too much oh. into my comment. So what's the difference between okay. Lloyd's car and my mom's car? The back seat of Lloyd's car actually got some action. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah, that all right. Would be it. That would be it. Um, all right. What else do we want to talk about on? The... Uh, you know what? I think this uh, Mother's Milk is my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Really? Um, I Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I know everybody likes Blood Sugar Sex Magic, but that thing got overplayed to the point where I, I'll be okay if I never hear Under the Bridge again in my life. Um, and that's not because it's a bad song. It's just because I've literally heard it 500 times. Um, I also think they owe a, a bit of credit to another band that's on this soundtrack. They kind of stole their funky rock ska type thing. And uh, I'm talking about Fishbone. Yeah. But at the time, the Red Hot Chili Peppers were super unique. Like, I mean, nobody sounded like them when they first came out. And then at some point, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, I imitation is the uh yeah i know i know you know something about flattery right but uh that everybody started to sound like them and then everybody started to rap over rock beats and next thing you know you got limp biscuit and corn making money i blame them yeah um my my first foray into the red hot chili peppers was uh uplift mofo party plan because i really liked fight like a brave and that was about it. That's that was about the only song that I really liked liked on that album. Actually, yeah. I, actually, I guess I I liked what was it uh, the uh, no no chump love sucker. I think that was on that album too. Well, and I didn't go back. Like I say, the way I came across Mother's Milk was I used to read Rolling Stone cover to cover, uh, at and I read the review on Mother's Milk and I went and got it. And Knock Me Down is probably, that's my favorite Red Hot Chili Pepper song. Um, I just love this album. And I, I did know that there was another album before it with a different guitar different, player. Different, different singer, um, too. Kiedis only sang on like half of the songs. I can't remember. Did, did uh, see, this is, again, I, I did like no, no research on this song. Uh, um, I could have swore that the, the lead singer like died. Yeah, I think it was drug related. Yeah, I, th- I thought so too, and that's where Kiedis then ended up assuming all of the the lead singing uh, duties. So, all right, let's get some scores. What you giving this? 
I gave it a six. Yeah, same. We're matching sixes. Interesting. All right. Um, and speaking of sixes, here's the sixth song on the record. This is Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. In your eyes, the light, the heat. I am complete. See the doorway. The thousand churches. Resolution. Of all the fruitless soldiers. And this is a song that was written about Rosanna Arquette. Did you know that fact? I had heard that before, yes. Because now that I know how much you hate Toto, we're going to make sure that we weave <laughs> a Toto reference into every single episode going forward. So, and of course, you know, wow. you, 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 of course, know that the other song uh, about Rosanna Arquette is is Rosanna by Toto and by so Toto. So she's inspired one good song. <laughs> uh, all right. I don't know how we're going to be able to convince you that Toto is great. Um, all right. So this is from the album. So, so, and that came out in, what was it? 86. And this was, this was released as the third single from So, and it reached number one on the Billboard mainstream rock tracks, peaked at number 26 on the Hot 100. Um, and this almost didn't make it into this <laughs> soundtrack. Um, did, you, did you read my notes about it? I love that story. I literally laughed out loud. When I when I read that, I that was hilarious. So Peter Gabriel asked to see a part of the movie before you would give permission to use um, in your eyes for for Cameron Crowe. So uh, Cameron had the production company send Peter an unfinished cut, and Gabriel responded by saying, "Okay, I I guess you can use it. I I like the the film." but I'm, I'm a little concerned about overdoses at the end. And Cameron Crowe realized that, that Peter had been given a copy of Wired instead, which is the biopic <laughs> about John Belushi. So found that, found that little tidbit uh, very, very funny. Yeah. And that just goes to, I mean, this song, when I, uh, I love the smithereens we've talked with, people about the smithereens and the song a girl like you is uh, one of their finest songs and a great song but the idea that anything else played in that back seat or in that boom box doesn't it's almost like if you used a different actor besides john cusack like i don't think we'd anybody would remember this movie or that scene i mean people to this day hold boom boxes right. playing this song and i think i just can't even fathom a movie with a girl like you blasting out of the 
I, I wonder if anybody has box. done a YouTube, you know, mashup where they where they put in a girl like you in place of in your eyes. Maybe I should I should go see if anybody has done that. But yeah, the the Smithereens wrote a girl like you for the movie, and I guess it just it didn't feel right. Well, they they said it gave away too much of the plot. Like they wrote it for the movie, and it. Uh, but I don't understand that comment because the scene doesn't come in until halfway through the movie. If you haven't gotten the plot by this point, you should right. get hit. On right. The and I don't recall lyric in any smithereen songs that say, I gave you my heart and you gave me a pen. So <laughs> yeah. So do you know what song was actually playing on the boombox when they filmed it? You know what? I have heard this and I am drawing a complete bank. I know when you say it, I'm going to go. Yeah. It's uh, it, I knew that. It, it is um, skanking to the beat. That, yep, and I I don't remember where I heard that. And, and of course, they put they put something. in your eyes, uh, you know, in the in the, the the editing process. I just watched last night, so I I, I was flipping through Amazon Prime. There is a uh, there's a documentary about the making of So. Have you have you? looked at that yet no i just finished watching the uh, andrew wood biopic oh. or not biopic the documentary on youtube that jeff recommended that was phenomenal i still need to go see that so um but yeah there's a there's a really good uh you know i, I can't remember the name of the company that does these you know album um reviews and talks to the artist and talks to the producer and um daniel lanois is, is the producer for so which um you know, he also produced Joshua Tree and Actung Baby, and gosh, he's produced a crap ton of of uh, rock royalty. And I think we're going to have to revisit so at some point because there are there's way too many good songs on that album. Um, Don't give up, Mercy Street, Sledgehammer, Big Time, this song. Yeah, it's just a it's it's a stacked, stacked uh, record. All right. What else? Oh, the last thing I wanted to share. So this this comes from, I don't know, Wikipedia or, or I think it was Wikipedia. So in October of 2012, Gabriel was playing at the Hollywood Bowl and started playing the first few bars of this song. Guess who walks on the stage? John Cusack <laughs> hands, hands him a, a boom box, takes a bow and then walks off. And um, uh, Cameron Crowe, I guess, was present at that concert and tweeted Peter Gabriel and John Cusack on stage together at the Hollywood Bowl tonight. Won't forget that. Dot, dot, dot ever. Yeah, that would be a that would be one of those great moments. Um, of course, Steve Netta would forget about it. Yeah, Steve um, would. He would tell a story, and he would go, "You know, I was at a Peter Gabriel concert, and uh, gosh, you know what? I think John Can't... Cusack came. I don't remember. There was an actor. One of those actors from the '80s came out and handed right. him a boombox. I don't remember which one. I think it was Lane Meyer. I can't remember, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was Lane Meyer. Uh, I think it was Matt Dillon. I'm not. I'm not positive. <laughs> oh, Steve's gonna hate me. Um, <laughs> I should have never brought that up. I love you, Steve. All right, let's get some scores. Seven. Really? Okay. This is this is my nine. And and I think it really 
I I think the way that I've looked at these soundtracks is a little bit different of how important they are to the soundtrack. So going back to our Fast Times episode where, you know, there's this uh, Jackson Brown uh, weave throughout the the the, uh, the the movie, I kind of feel like the Peter Gabriel song is really necessary for the movie. And it's such an iconic, iconic scene. I mean, you just hold up a boom box. The immediate reaction is that's Lloyd Dobler. Yeah. This it's intricate to the, 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 it's super intricate to the movie. It's just like, I so was waiting for somebody, but it's not, like I said, I had a couple of songs on here. I really like. Okay. That's fine. All right. Here's the next song. So this is Depeche Mode's Stripped. This comes from their 1986 album, Black Celebration. This was actually the lead single from that album. The seven inch B side for Stripped is But Not Tonight. Do you know that song at all? I don't, I'm not, no, I don't believe so. That's probably my favorite song off of Black Celebration. It's good, good, good tune. Um, every time I hear this song, I think of 101. That was their their double live album that was recorded at the Rose Bowl. That is one of the best live albums that exists. I mean, it's it's so good and it really captures the band at their height. I really feel like the the height of of Depeche Mode was that eighty six to to ninety um, time time period, um, maybe ninety two, I guess. Uh, what was it? Songs of Love and Devotion. I guess that came out like 92. 92. Wow, that seems even later than that. Because I know, I mean, on Violator, they were on top of the world. It's funny about this song is got a almost the same kind of thing as the Cheap Trick song. It's got a very Depeche Mode song. You know it's Depeche yeah. Mode, but it kind of doesn't differentiate itself like... Uh, uh, but I will say I, I'm I love Depeche Mode now. I don't love them as much as I would because I had a late start because the first thing I ever heard from from them was "People Are People," and I literally can't stand that song. And because of that song, I didn't listen to Depeche Mode because I assumed that they sucked. Uh, and it was until later when I started to hear things like "Blasphemous Rumors" or uh, "Gosh, anything off of Violator" um, that I realized, you know what, these guys. Are awesome. Yeah, I was just looking at uh, so songs of faith and devotion ninety three, that has walking in my shoes and condemnation and um, uh, in your room. I think that was another another single off of that. But yeah, there was a there was a time period where I was really into Depeche Mode. Um, now I'm just I'm kind of lukewarm on on them. Um, every once in a while, I feel nostalgic and, and want to go back and, and uh, listen. But I 
I think it's just because I I've I've tried to listen to to more of their more recent stuff, and there just isn't a whole lot of good stuff off of more recent more recent albums. Um, I will say Precious that came out. What was that? Two thousand five or two thousand six? That is a f- yeah. That- that is a phenomenal song. Um, and I and I really thought when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, Depeche Mode's back on their game. And then I bought the album and was really disappointed. But anything else on Depeche Mode? Uh, no, other than I love Dave Gahan's voice, except on People Are People. And, uh, and a solution to your problem, like you were saying, is to do like I do and don't don't listen yeah. to anything made recently. And then you'll never know. It's like a time. Like I still, I still think of uh, Depeche Mode as just having made uh, more music for the masses. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I, that's a great album too. Music for the masses is great. All right. Uh, so score for Stripped five. Okay. I definitely liked it better. I think it was again just that time period for me. So I give. I'm giving that an eight. All right. Here's the next song. This is Fishbone skanking to the beat. And you probably heard this song live, didn't you? There's no way I didn't. Like I was, I was there for the Beastie Boys. I don't, and I had never heard or seen Fishbone before. I know they put on a great show, but I re- I recall Party at Ground Zero, but I find it hard to believe that this song wasn't being played there. Well, it was the B side to Party at Ground yeah. Zero, so and that was a single back in '85. So I have to believe you saw it. Um, and this and this band this some of these songs like this one in particular it's it we had had the discussion about you know songs moving the 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 narrative along um i think that he's just real good at putting music in the right place cuz this could have been any fishbone song it didn't have to be this fishbone song um cuz i think yeah. this is played at the party if i remember it is yeah yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. uh this is this is a great song to have in a party atmosphere so he he i mean but if it could if it was the specials it probably wouldn't have made a big difference but i mean i think it's not so much that he knows what music to put in places as much as he knows i got to put some music in here it's just like in singles where you had to put some music playing so loud that the that the that the characters have to have to yell over it like he just has a way of putting music in the right spots and using it the song itself, I don't know. It, it, it just needs to be a kind of song, not not specific. Like this song didn't have to be skanking to the beat. It could have been party at ground zero. Could have been yeah. you know something by the specials. Uh, it just needed to be a good. Uh, and it's great for a fact that it's a, that it's an underrated kind of underappreciated genre as a, a and an underappreciated band. Yeah. All right. Uh, what score are you giving this? 
I give this an eight. Okay. I give this a five. Um, again, it's not, not something that I'm going to completely seek out, but I'm also, when I'm listening to this record, I'm also not skipping it. So, all right, moving on. Here is track nine. This is the replacements with within your reach. This is on the replacements Hoot Nanny record from 1983. And going back to your point about placement of the song, this is this is one of those uh, this is one of those time periods uh, where I think that worked well. I was reminded by my friend Mark who called me out on the on the 45 episode, and he said. He got the name of the song wrong, but uh, he 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 did he did tell me that I was I was wrong where I said only Peter Gabriel's song moves anything along in the uh, in the in the, in the movie, and um, this this is one of those memorable songs. It's uh, well, here's what I'll say though: it this is a great song. I already can tell you, I don't need to know that this is going to be the number one overall song. Uh, but it, it's the it's in a great disappointment song. But could, I could hear "Unsatisfied" or "Waiting." You know, "Here Comes a Regular" or any of those. Um, you know, some of the uh, some of that stuff off of uh, "All Shook Down." I mean, I guess that hadn't been written yet. But he had started to learn how to do this. I mean, he's a master of uh, of desperation and dissatisfaction and disappointment, and he can convey that. And when he and this is like probably maybe one of his earliest examples of that. But I'm just saying, that's what I'm saying is kind of listen, try to think about those other songs that have that same kind of uh, real slow, melodic, uh, desperate, dissatisfied kind of feel to them. And you could put any one of those in there. And I think in the spot you're talking about, it would have, they would work just, it just needed to be a kind of song, yeah. not necessarily this specific song, which this song is, I'm a clown horn me. This song's fucking great. Valid. It is great. You know, to your point of this really captures the uh, the essence of disappointment. You know, this isn't the first time that we've played this song. <laughs> I, uh, I specifically use that word for uh, a reason, my absolutely. friend. Absolutely. So this this was on my disappointment list from uh, early earlier in our podcast. D- do do you really need to know what my score is on this? I, you want me to guess? You want to guess? I'm going to take a guess. Is that a 10? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to take a guess. This is your nine. Yeah, absolutely. And it was right away. Like when I went through the soundtrack, I listened to the soundtrack. I knew my number one. I knew my number 10, my number nine right away. And then I figured out the rest from there. 
Well, let me let me put it this way. I bought I bought this soundtrack in 89 because of the replacement song. Cuz I knew it, I knew that was Paul Westerberg, but I had no idea what the name of the song was because to, you know, when I'm making fun of Mark because he doesn't know the name of the song, well, you know, he said die without your touch live without your touch um that's what i thought it was as well um so i had no idea you know what uh, what record it was on see here's the beauty of the internet kids are spoiled these days because they can just go out and and listen on spotify and then they can go oh yeah that's the song that i i want um we didn't have that luxury so it was like <laughs> I think I'm going to have to buy the soundtrack in order to figure out what's the, you know, what's, what's the name of the song. So whatever. Um, all right, let's move on. So, so technically this isn't the last song on the soundtrack. There is one other, uh, you know, track at the end of the record, which is like a clip from the, the, uh, original cast, is is what they what they put on there and i think it's the lloyd the lloyd rap when they're at the gas and sip <laughs> uh, i didn't own this I, <laughs> why are you why are you at the gas and sip on a friday night i can't do it i'm sorry i can't do it by choice man by choice <sighs> so anyways we're we're not scoring that because we're going to just score the music of the record so um, so, so technically, this is the last song on the on the record. So, this is keeping the dream alive. This is Freiheit. Did I say it right? I mean, they're they're a German band, so I don't know if I'm. Even... Yeah, there's probably some there's probably some crackly guttural noises in it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you have to say a part of it fast and part of it right. slow. Uh, I I don't know because I I heard this and I I just like I saw your notes because the first thing when it first starts playing was this a Queen song. Oh no no, it's an ELO song. Is Paul McCartney in this band? I don't know whether to love them or originally I didn't know whether to love them or hate them for this ripoff. And I decided to go with hate. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a cross between an ELO and a queen song. And yeah, I, I, I totally hear some wings in it as well. You know, I was waiting for the lead singer to start singing, take it away. And, um, but he's, he's like trying, it's like, I thought it was Paul McCartney. I was like, how did they get him? Oh, they didn't. They just they just ripping right. him off. So the song was originally recorded in German as uh, let me let me see if I can if I can. So this is keeping the dream alive. Keep keep in mind that that's what the English translation is. So it's so Langman Trium Nock Lehem Kann, and it, and if anyone actually really does know 
um, German. I'm so sorry because I just totally <laughs> slaughtered it. Um, I guess this was the only song that they ended up that ended up charting for them. Um, and it was, I guess it was somewhat big over in London. I don't, I don't know. I just know that like, like, like you, um, this just sucks. (laughs) Uh, and I've, I've never been a big Jeff Lynn fan and, uh, honestly this, yeah, it's just, it's not good. I'm giving this a three and that's only because I hate Nancy so much on this record. And I just, I can't give, I can't give Joe Satriani any love. I'm sorry, Joe. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. I, I'm shocked by that. Cause that, this, I gave this a two. It is terrible. Uh, yeah. It only saved by, by Nancy's Wilson's uh, sleeping with the director uh, is the only way this thing rose to number two so that uh, that pretty much wraps up the soundtrack should we uh, should we go through the scores and see what's uh what's our top five picks we already know what the number well, one is right yeah and i would think number two is probably cult of personality yeah got a 10 is. and a seven uh third is in your eyes in your eyes and then uh tied for tied for seven or i'm sorry i'm sorry tied for fourth um, is track number seven and track number eight. So stripped by Depeche Mode and Skankin' to the Beat, both got average scores of six and a half. And um, we already know what our big stinker on the on the record is. <laughs> I, so. Yeah, the bottom two are pretty. We got them. We got that nailed down. The bottom three. Yeah, I yeah. guess. Joe Joe was able to climb out of the 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 bottom two spots. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Joe, um, if if I came across as being, you know, not not a fan. And Freiheit, they're never going to know because they don't speak English anyways. So that was pretty evident by that song. <laughs> and I don't care what they think if they do. Like I, I wish I ran into them in a bar. Pretty safe to say. Tell them yeah, about. pretty safe to say from our uh, our last two episodes that. Um, or our last two episodes for Cameron Crowe soundtracks. Nancy Wilson's never coming on our podcast, is she? <laughs> we'll ne- we'll never be able to persuade her to come on our on our podcast at all. So. Well, it's a, it's a, only if she doesn't listen to any of them, and she doesn't have people who do any research for. Her, uh, uh, then we could probably get her on to revisit uh, dog and butterfly or something dreamboat annie baby lestrange oh baby lestrange that, that that's a good record see the Colum- the, the yeah, columbia record the columbia record era is is good well it's not only that it's also roger roger fisher yeah okay Na- and Na- nancy wilson was not the lead guitar player <laughs> right right yeah all right well i think that that wraps up march so we got a late start on the Cameron Crow soundtrack month. We're uh I don't think we're gonna get to Elizabethtown. We could probably save that for another time when we wanna do some more Cameron Crow soundtracks. I think uh Almost Famous probably deserves a revisit. 
Jerry Maguire is not a bad soundtrack either. Um, maybe we'll 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 do another month some somewhere down the road. I mean, we got the big three out ever after this. Yeah, they're all yeah. Well, we do we do have some good episodes coming up in the month of April. Um, I know that we're going to be covering Pearl Jam's ten. We're going to be covering Elvis Costello and the Attractions Armed Forces. Uh, I'm waiting to hear back on some some of our guests' choices for uh, for for April as well. And based off of uh, some of the decisions that they're trying to make, are going to be very good. They are definitely going to get us out of this uh, Americana, uh, you know stuff that we've been we've been covering not that there's anything wrong with it but we got to give props to our guests uh hannah and michael those two choices uh you know stuff we we may not have ever heard uh without uh them and like i say breath of fresh air great great stuff really enjoyed both those uh records And, and and you and i decided for this episode that we're we're like you know what let's go back to the roots let's just you and me and have a conversation plus i don't know if i could have taken anybody you know giving the replacements a really bad score so yeah that that could have that could have set me off could have been trouble (laughs) well it's been a pleasure revisiting with you absolutely you too so uh here here's the here's the outro please go support the arts go to a live show buy a t-shirt of the band Buy a record, visit a record store, and not just on record store day. We are Records Revisited, and we are out.